0: museum i've never been to that one but that's uh neil armstrong who's the guy it said DeMaule. armstrong yeah, armstrong Sp-
1: space uh air and
0: space museum is what it said. It would be cool to see that they had like a shuttle i think or one of the missile rockets out front it'd be cool to see it
1: museums are hit or miss for me um depending on how well they're done i like the kalamazoo air zoo that thing is pretty sweet you know what's cool about museums no
0: most of the stuff in there is old
2: yeah. like
1: older than now
2: well yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> way cool way oh cool. uh, yeah all
0: right so I need what's the you? story that i would,
1: you've been alluding to it for a week i hope it i hope it lives up to your expectations oh, it better. uh because it's still like stuck in my on my brain uh, a little bit i'm trying to leave it leave it behind uh and this is why i don't like doing my own travel planning i used to love it when greg would help us with the travel planning because mm-hmm. uh it was just so easy. He'd hand you this packet and it had, you had your flight information, hotel, rental car, all in one like stapled little black and white packet. It was so sweet. It was so sweet. Thanks, Greg. I miss you. <laughs> 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 um, but now of the days that I have to do it myself, um, I tried to do it. I tried to book travel, um, uh, at the end of last year so that I could expense it. Right. I'm mean, just, yeah, just pay it, and expense it on last year's, um, Whatever against last year's profits, um, so I got in there and I booked. I booked flights for. There's a few matches I'm going to this year that I got to fly to. The first one coming up is the Idaho Snake River, yeah, showdown or something. Yeah, yeah, Snake River Showdown, um, and then the next one is the Koenig Ruger Koenig uh, match, right? Yep, and then think those are the two right now and then we got uh we're gonna have the finale box candy showdown i didn't mess with that uh but the thing that oh and then the texas one that i just got back from so so i remember when i went to texas like i could see the three flights that i booked when i when i checked into my texas flight right i i booked the texas flight uh or i was checked into the texas flight and then i opened up the app my southwest app and it showed boise um and then it showed Ruger Koenig I don't know if you see where I'm going with this yet I'm pretty sure I do so so, so I saw that and I got back and I'm like I got back from Texas and a few days later I'm like okay the next match now is going to be the frostbite which I'm driving to and then the next match after that's Boise uh, the Snake River match and I'm like I need to book a rental car for that I need to get a hotel I, I got the flight I know I got it covered Um, let me go print the flight itinerary so that I have that, just a physical copy and I'll do the same thing when I book the car in the hotel. Um, and I go to try to find my confirmation for the flight. (laughs) Stop laughing. Go to try my, find my confirmation for the flight in the app and it's not in there. I'm like, what the heck? I I swear I saw it in there. I go to my email. I find, uh the confirmation number for the flight i'm like see i got it i grabbed the confirmation number i pasted into the southwest app i pushed go and it said it said flight not found and then at the bottom it says uh how did you enjoy your trip and so, <laughs> so, I start, <laughs> so i start looking at it and i'm like oh crap it says february 2nd to february 6th not march 2nd to march 6th <laughs> so i'm like well crap there is a mistake there um I booked it, and I booked it for February 2nd to the 6th instead of March 2nd to the 6th. I'm like, yeah, that sucks. It sucks a lot, but the tickets were only like 330 bucks or whatever round trip. And I'm like, that that really stinks that I wasted 330 bucks. but it could always be worse, right? So then I go to book the flight again. Something's going on with flights, bro. Like something is going on with flights. The same flight, same time of day, same plane changes the same everything because i can tell there's only one way to get to boise idaho yeah. from detroit michigan because the flights like i said same time of day there's only one option same as before now it's 825 dollars <laughs> and it's not just that like i've looked up other flights recently flights prices are going up which yeah. i'm honestly surprised that you can fly anywhere for 300 bucks i was happy as hell to pay 300 bucks for a flight across the dang country um i'm not happy as hell to pay 825 dollars plus well I'm just swapping so yeah the premium on this trip for me is 824 it's a, it, it's that's the premium because I already paid for the flight once right yeah so yeah it's a 1200 eleven $1, hundred dollar plane ticket to, so, to Boise Idaho the lovely boisterous
0: <laughs> breezy and balmy Boise so if, Idaho if you're looking at your calendar you just had to hold a mill right a whole the whole, right. whole month, month right. Hold whole month right. Yep. Hold one month right and you're good. You missed your month call. <laughs> and this kind of piggybacks into the last
1: uh one of the last conversations we had which is not being emotional and learning from your mistakes. Um when I first saw it, my heart like my stomach had that little bit of like adrenaline spike and I'm like no, I did not book the wrong month, right? This is a total Morgan King mistake. I did not do this. By the way, I had to call Morgan as soon as I figured it out. <laughs> I called him. I'm like, dude, I just pulled a Morgan. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? I was going to say something that he hasn't made public, so I can't say Yeah, um, but, but I said, I did something like, like this other incident. And he's like, oh, man, you're such an idiot. <laughs> and we had a good laugh. It was funny. Um, so my first gut instinct was like, adrenaline spike frustration and i'm like but then my brain let me think i paid 300 bucks for that it's not the end of the world like i'm gonna still have a good time yeah at the match like i, I was i'm actually super excited about this match after we heard or i heard morgan's podcast with the match directors uh, i think it's brian meese seth howard those two um did you listen to that episode i didn't okay it's pretty good they talk about their match directing style and, and the match as a whole. Um, so I was like, I'm super stoked to go to this match, and <laughs> I can't not go. Like, I can't let this frustrate me to the fact that I, I don't want to be there. Right. Or it makes my experience, which is going to be probably fun with friends in a new range. In a new place. And I don't want to ruin that. And I also definitely don't want to let it ruin my performance potential. So uh, I just said, okay. So that match, the flight cost me 1200 bucks. whatever. You know, it is what it is. Uh, so it reminded me of our discussion where we talked about the the golf shot and the um, and the the Vatican trip to, yeah. to Italy. So I uh, yeah I had to squash the the frustration so that uh, for the sake of having a good time and, like- and, and and being positive about the potential of what I'm going to experience
0: over there. I'm kind of excited to see what you're going to experience because I watched the video of them hanging a target. Oh, yeah. and when was... You have to rappel off of a cliff <laughs> to hang a target. Uh, immediately, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm glad I'm not that MD. Not because I don't like rappelling and mountain climbing. But what if doing the target that, fails? That's exactly it. Like, you better be real good at having backups. But on top of that, the setup takes forever. The teardown also takes forever. So that's like... The amount of work it would take to get up to where they were and drop down a clip face in order to set up just one target, yeah, I don't want that frustration. How
1: awesome guys. would it be, though, if that's our first stage? I mean, you're going to get a good win call. You're going to see yourself miss and hit a rock if you... Yeah. It's going to be well, a good target to hopefully. shoot at. It depends on the type of rock, but yes, hopefully. Remember that Hornaday match where you were shooting same story? You're shooting at a rock, and there was like mm-hmm. this pocket next to the rock that was a black hole? Yep. So... like. If you didn't see your your miss and you didn't hit, you know it was in that hole. I mean, exactly. There's no
0: other option. <laughs> yep. And you just had to be smart. That you know, okay, if you don't see it, that's where it Hold went. Another it was, full plate like a to the right. Twenty foot diameter boulder. So yeah. unless you missed by more than twenty feet, you knew it was in that hole more often than it was not in that hole. Yeah. Because anywhere else you hit, you saw a big white puff in there. Nah, you didn't see anything. It was a bullet trap. Talk about a cool match. That's a cool match. Mm-hmm. Um. But that I think this is a good topic because this leads us into something that we kind of hit on when we were talking about you know failures, managing expectations, how to um, you know look at shoot take the positive, emotion. shoot without emotion. But the next step of that is yeah, we're saying recognize when something goes wrong, and it leaves you the opportunity to recognize when something's wrong. But how do you recognize when something is wrong, and then how do you like what are the steps involved? And we have been asked this a lot what do you do to, let's call it, and this is kind of a hybrid, post-match performance, how do you quantify what you did right and what to focus on in practice versus how do you just, uh, how do you actually create an action plan? How do you note it? And I think it's time that maybe, at least I can share what I do and the concept behind what I do, but then you can talk about what you do or if it's similar, we can go from there. And this all involves using heuristics or using you know kind of a map of what causes what and are they call it interrelated or not interrelated you need to find these little silos and actually ironically there's four, four silos. silos right there yep, exactly and there are four silos that i use uh, and those are actually set up per- i got it i can't get a photo of this fast enough i'm working i got this we're gonna trim it i got it i got it three two one silos bam oh come on silo bam got it got it okay that's perfect this is only going to make sense if I can get this photo up and it actually looks decent. I think it will. It'll look decent enough. I got okay. a
1: couple of photos too. Oh, that's a good one. Good job. <laughs> I wrote right. down
0: the window. <laughs> so I use four silos or an acronym E-W-S-P. Doesn't an acronym assume that there's, no, p- that there's like an alternate pronunciation? The, I think that is. Maybe. No, you're right. No. You're right. Acronym can be anything. Yeah, an I mean acronym can just be a word that doesn't make any WYSIWYG is an acronym, yeah. but it's it's just something you say. EWSP. It's an abbreviation.
1: Yeah, abbreviation. No, no, but it's no, still it's an still acronym. acronym yeah. yeah.
0: So the an, an acronym. Acr, acronym. The acronym I use is EWSP. That stands for elevation, wind, stability. And then the P has a bunch of words, but preparation <laughs> <laughs> Preparation, procedural. planning, procedural. And then also gear. So wait, that's not a P. I know it's not a P, but we can ex- peer. You can. Gear. P- it'll I fall g- under the preparation portion. Use good. Use good. That's. We'll leave it, it as P's because it, p it could is. be the planning could be your gear piece I agree as well. That's and planning to me is way before that. So, I wanted to walk through these. The reason that the EWSP, EWSP, Just remember that words. And if you can, that's probably so weird. You know, we talked about this at one episode about coming up with weird. Processes that mm-hmm. require stuff, EWSP is weird enough that you'll probably remember it from this point forward. Yeah. So, what does it stand for? Elevation, wind, stability, and then P is multi-part, but planning, preparation, and process procedural. procedural. Yeah. Yep. All the four Ps. Um, they are actually EWSP is sort of the reverse order that you're going to work at them in real life. So, you always you start with the Ps, then you work to S, then you work to windage then you work to the elevation and this is real time i'm going to we're going to start at the base over in the p section because i think this makes the most sense to most people to think about it from prior to a match before we
1: like break down into categories like why are we even doing this like what's the point yeah
0: the point of this is when you when you're looking for a miss and we've talked about it with morgan when we were doing our spotting your shots down range it's one thing to just categorize what you think is a miss, but there's multiple ways to miss that have nothing to do with just elevation or just wind, right? We also know that if you want to get better at something, it's easier to get better if you have a plan in order to tackle small chunks of that and become expert in it, much like we talked about in a couple of an episode or one of the episodes you'll hear or have heard. I'm not sure what's the order you're going to hear these. Um, so in order to track during a match what you need to work on, You need to have a category that helps you identify things. So it's not just, oh, I missed two shots on stage one. I missed four shots on stage six and so on and so forth. That gives you no information as to what to actually work on.
1: Yeah. So we're talking about like building an after action report that leads Mm -hmm. you into categories that you can, you know, focus your training plan on before your next match, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah.
0: So working backwards from this the the p's the four p's and the g if you will um preparation the first one is planning and preparation but let's start with preparation preparations is to me everything from the deci- time that you decide to go to a match all the way to the time when you are literally getting ready for your first stage and you are putting your gear together and you've finished that plan for your very first stage of the day
1: it could be between could stages be- as well It it absolutely is.
0: It absolutely is. That's another... basically when you're not on the clock. Yeah, that's the. to me, that's the planning portion, right? Preparation is everything up to that point. You're preparing for the match. You're getting your process, your gear. But then there's procedural stuff that happens. But yeah, it's every time you get to that first stage and everything that happens in between. But effectively, when you're not shooting rounds. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly.
1: So when the clock is not running on a stage, it it falls into this P category. Correct. And the cool thing about the P category is um, it's you can call it whatever you want but it's it's the stuff that you have virtually unlimited amount of time to work on. Yes. And and mm-hmm. we know it's not unlimited but compared to the time that you're asked <coughs> to compared execute to 90 seconds, yeah. Compared <laughs> to the time when you are on stage um it is virtually unlimited if you use your time wisely. You will have plenty of
0: time to ta- tackle these things that fall into the P yes. category. So the things that fall into P for me, at least before you get to a match and even leading up to the match, your gear. Have you vetted your rifle? Is it squared away that you know it's it's clean? Uh, your magazines all function flawlessly. Your t- screws are all torqued properly. Your scope is level to its mount. It's torqued properly onto the action. Your you bio tracks. All of that stuff. Yep, you know it tracks. Everything. Um, Literally all the things that you can do that you are harder to like really not worth your time having to fix in a match or you wouldn't expect to have to fix them in a match. You are squaring all those things away when you decide to go to any match. You're assuming you're assuming that, okay, to get to that match, I need equipment that works. Therefore, everything you do between that time to decide to go in the match, you are you should have checked off all of the components or aspects that make your gear between your bags and your rifle and all of that. A, they function, and B, you know how to make them function. And Mm -hmm. also, you know what makes them not function. And that's a really important one. Because you brought up. How to protect them. Yeah. You you brought up, you know, having a a gear failure is a real problem, right? New shooters have this happen all the time. They're not familiar with a piece of kit, or they're just unfamiliar with the failure mechanism. So the best example I have of this is if you're running a newer chassis, you just got a new mag, and you... you you start using this mag on a stage and you load into the bag and it puts enough pressure on the magazine to cause a failure to feed. Mm -hmm. That may be something that, that is something that is absolutely tunable out of most magazines or at least identifiable that that magazine specifically and your chassis aren't working well together and it needs fixing, period. Like Mm -hmm. however it's resolved, either a new mag, a different mag, a different style of mag. Adjust the mag Adjust the catch, whatever. That is something that you have to catch off the clock before the match or else you are putting yourself behind the eight ball and setting yourself up for a miss um, how about something like
1: um getting your your game changer wet i mean w- mm-hmm. it, it operates it handles differently i had somebody to totally message us after that texas match and they were saying well how do you address this um with your with your bag getting wet in a match like how, how do you how do you deal with that um and I basically told this person your bag shouldn't be wet (laughs) and and I said this in jest but literally I shot the Texas match and it rained both days Um, rained way harder the second day Um, but my bag wasn't wet did it get wet on the stage a little bit but I kept it out of the rain Uh, I kept it spread out I I didn't ever let it have a drop of rain touch that bag when I wasn't on the clock mm-hmm. and was it easy? No but I know that the performance suffers when your bag turns into a firm brick. I just yep. know that my rifle doesn't operate the same and I have more time, uh, harder time dealing with it. So keep your rifle dry, keep your scope from fogging up, keep your bags uh, dry, keep your body dry keep your feet dry. Like These are things that you should have a plan, mm-hmm. plan for and there will be inevitably things that you don't That you don't know, that you haven't experienced yet. But the whole point of this process that you're trying to describe, I think, is once you have that happen once, it should never happen again. Yes. And you're going to write it down, you're going to take it home, you're going to prioritize it, and you're going to learn from it. And this P category is, in my opinion, the the fourth silo that's standing alone. It's all out by itself because it is the cheapest, it's the easiest, it's the one category that you should be able to permanently not have to worry about with enough planning. Yep. With and if an, you,
0: if you get an issue in that silo or if you find that you have a problem, you, you have enough time to fix it. That doesn't require you to spend money to go to a match to check to see if it's fixed. Yeah. You can do it anytime. Correct. That to me is the kind of the beauty of that's a cool corvette, um, the beauty of the, the silo method, if you will. And so one other thing else I'm going to, That's most of this silo, but we're going to go into the next part of the P's here in a moment just to put a higher level on this. These four silos in a match, so you know where this is going, You will anytime you have a miss, you're attributing the miss to something. And one of these four silos should be where you place a check mark, right? A a miss. So in the stage, you'll have this little next to the stage EWSP, and you'll put a little, you just write them vertically, write them horizontally, don't care which, but however you write them, put your little Roman numerals next to any miss as it falls into one of these categories and then at the end of the match you just have your big list which has all of them and you just say okay I missed this many to blank and I missed this many to wind, this many to stability this many to planning and procedural and you have notes on every stage as to what specifically caused it so you can refer back to it but then what, when you're done you have this histogram right that shows you our bins that show you where the bulk of your misses came from and this yeah. is prioritization one hundred and one. If you don't know that your gear preparation and planning were the reason for causing all these, like twelve or twenty of your missed shots, or twenty of them are from planning, and then ten of them are due to wind, and you say, "Oh man, I got to get better and work on my waterline and make my group smaller," no, what the hell are you possibly thinking? Like you could literally gain sixty-six percent better score, or let's you know, say drop 66% fewer shots by eliminating procedural planning and preparation errors. I think a lot of people inherently know that, but they don't know
1: how. They'll have an issue that they don't document very well, and it's like out of sight, out of mind. Like Once once the stage is over, they just brain dump it because they realize that it was a quote unquote fluke, so they don't write it down, Mm -hmm. and then they don't remember even to mess with it until it happens to them again on a different day in a different match
0: and then they may remember worst case like we talked about having a failure leading to another failure this is the same thing only over a longer time frame having a failure that you recognize and then going oh I gotta get to that then not having it happen again and go oh yeah I remember that yeah I'll fix that and then you don't again you're much closer to cementing a you don't care I love passing by this flag by the way I just have to pause yeah it's a huge flag we're in like Urbana Ohio area, and there's this giant 40-foot flag, 50-foot flag. Yep. But, um, so that's the purpose of what these silos are. That's why, you know, when you're listening along, this is the intent behind them. It's to be able to categorize individual misses, put check marks or tallies or raw counts of number of misses and what you think they're primarily attributable to. In some cases, it's not just one category to an extent. There right. are times where it'll be two categories, but... We'll explain that when we get to those. That's more specifically elevation and wind, but we'll we'll come back to that. But
1: you're but you're always going to want to work from from the P back to the E. Correct. As far as the level of the time spent versus bang for your buck, you know. Yep. The, I really think that the things that fall into the P category, whatever we were considering the Ps, is the stuff that you should be able to create some type of uh, process to defeat it permanently and. Um, and then I'll subgroup the I'll subgroup the process elements out to things in, in the gear realm that can be permanently fixed much easier than a process, say yes. of, of forgetting to dial or something like that. Yep. Like
0: the, the, it's a procedural yeah. the procedural. hardest
1: thing in this game to, to do in the long run and to make a, a pro process to prevent is forgetting to hold or forgetting to dial and I still haven't come up with uh, a method for doing that other than I've shot long enough to where I don't do it anymore I don't forget anymore Mm -hmm. if if it happens to me once one shot per year I'd be very surprised but it did happen to me once last year and uh, so I still know that it's a potential for problems for me personally um, it just doesn't happen as often. So all I can say is that it's very hard to create some type of a physical Like a fail-safe. Thing. Yeah, yeah, there's no back check that you can put for that. Unfortunately not, no. So no. you're going to go from those are the hardest Ps to fix, but you're going to go down to the, some of the easier ones where, like, is your action torqued? Are your rings yep. tight? Like all of those things. Like
0: you <coughs> I have a really s- good one. Okay. Really good example of a, a hard-to-identify issue that I was almost stymied by. And then I wasn't. Mm-hmm. So uh, a year or so ago, I was at the Michigan match, one of our one days. I pull my action back. Brass is still stuck in the action. I didn't know it. I went to feed the next one. It jams. I immediately drop my mag. Out comes the, the round and the dead piece of brass. Cycle the bolt, open the bolt, put the mag back in, and Bob's my uncle keep it back to the races. Like, oh, that's weird. I must have cycled the bolt weird. Fast forward. Never happened again. Next match same thing happens and i'm like dude i don't have this issue this is not something that's typical so the first time i thought it was just me manipulating the bolt incorrectly i wasn't quite sure but i thought it was a you know my own practice and in slow manipulation of bolt maybe the plunger was dirty who knows so i did some basic things to try to fix it um, right after it occurred like cleaning the bolt face making sure my plunger and extractor were both working properly clean off the bolt face again depress everything good check my mag check my brass yep the brass was normal okay i I probably resolved it right a match later i have the same issue Ching. like that's weird i did it again it must be me running the bolt weird because i have done everything physically that at least i think at this point i've done everything physically to fix it the same match a couple stages later i i was very uh, now I'm being hyper cautious about the extraction process because once I've had it happen once in the match I know I haven't resolved it from the prior now I'm really acutely aware of what does it feel like, what does it look like and I extract it around and as I'm seeing that I felt the the click and the, the plunger depressed, the brass start to clear and then I felt like uh, clink, clunk, clink, for lack of a better normally it's extract and Ching, you hear that one sound. Instead, I was hearing three sounds. Clink, clunk, clink. And that meant something else was going on. Like, that's not normal. This only happened because I was super acutely aware of this process. I examined the rifle right after the stage, after clearing the... the and I figured out, there is a brass mark on ascendant level. The ascendant level little twisty tab, the thumb screw. I had a brand new ascendant level that I was using at those two matches... And it was clocked about 30 to 40 degrees differently than it usually is. And the brass had just the right angle to flip back, smack the face of that, and then get pushed right back into the action. Mm -hmm. The only reason I knew that is because I was tracking how my rifle normally functions. Then once it happened, I thought I made a resolution. It didn't resolve it. Skip, what else could lead to this? Well, the only other way this occurs is if something else is happening on the ejection process that I'm not aware of, and I was then really paying attention to it so that I could eliminate it, proactively eliminate it, and then that immediately resulted. I just simply switched the send it level back to a different thumb screw, and Bob's my uncle um, fixed. Never Did happened you know
1: again. that this, the wrench that's underneath your cheek riser on the new uh, MDT ACC Elite, that wrench fits the screw that comes with your send it level i didn't i haven't played with that yet so it fits that so you could get rid of this problem completely by just getting rid of the thumb screw on the send it and using the actual screw Hmm. and then it's like super low profile yeah all right so get yourself an acc elite (laughs) this is highly recommended by the way yep Um, and then get rid of that little thumb screw and if you, even if or, you don't
0: have the ACC Elite, you can put the, the bolt on there anyway. Yeah, or I mean, in this case, all I had to do was cl- clock it or grind the tab off on one side because I only need half of it. I just need to be able to turn it or yeah. just go to the actual screw. Point being, do something about this it. This is do something about it 101. And if you can't resolve it, continuously r- work to resolve something until so you can find the actual cause. I thought I had found the cause or culprit, the real cause of this brass. Staying in my chamber. In fact, it wasn't. It was something else completely that I. I mean, how many times do you think if you just change to the exact same piece of equipment, but it's a duplicate, that it's not going to work? We've seen this a hundred times with scopes. You have a scope A that works, and a scope B that may not, or it's leveled slightly differently, or it's set in a different place. It's not got the same eye relief. There's. Oh, it has a the same thing, but maybe a different reticle. You assume it's got the same and brain farting you come to a match with a slightly different reticle than you're used to if you have variants of the same thing i mean there's numerous ways that this occurs the point being tracking your process and identifying a cause and then eliminating that cause in the off season is your primary goal mm-hmm. and also in between during practice that is the primary purpose of the peas yeah the fun thing for me
1: as an engineer is to think about complete change complete different mindset complete paradigm shift because that's why I brought up the screw thing. Yeah. You did something about it. What if there's something that you could go even further and simplify the footprint of your whole workspace, which when I switched to the Elite I figured that out, that little wrench in there. It's actually like a star, it's like a Torx wrench mm-hmm. that's made to adjust the mag latch. Yep. Mag adjustment. But I stuck it in that screw and it doesn't fit. So I'm like, heck yeah, I'm getting rid of this whole knob and then I went to the brandt built concept uh, LEDs, and that way I could rotate my ascendant level vertically. Like, my workspace just keeps getting tighter and more reliable every time I work on it. And to yep. me, that is, that's freaking exciting. It's like, I think I told you before when I switched it's like this is reinvigorating my excitement to go back to shoot, shooting matches this yeah. year. Like, I shot a match every month last year. And I'm kind of on pace to shoot a match every month this year. I mean, the AG Cup was in December, and I already shot the Texas match in January. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a lifestyle. It's uh, solving problems is fun. Um, making improvements is necessary. If you think that you can figure something out and then it's always going to be there for you, uh, think again. You need to think about getting better than you just got. Yep. You know, always do that because your competition
0: will if you don't so this brings up you bring up a really good point on your gear and the continuous process one of the most common reasons for a miss or missed points for a newer shooter is is what i'm going to see if you come to the same conclusion i do what, as a brand new or very raw new shooter even going even a mid pack going to a pro match for the first time for instance what do you think what's the most common quote excuse you hear for a miss Outside oh gosh, of wind. I'm going to give you fast. outside of wind and I think you'll know it right No, away. it's fast. It is. You don't, you're giving me too much credit. Okay. Then, so timing out. Yeah, but. That's that general. But I don't care. I, I want to know. this okay. well, that's the, my point. Okay. They, you know, most people will view a timeout as like, oh, yeah, I timed out. That's why I dropped 20 points. Back yeah. up. What caused that timeout? Well, I don't know. I had a mag issue, but that's not. No, 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 no. You had a mag issue that caused. 20 seconds to burn so not only did you not know how to clear a mag issue within three seconds you didn't have a backup mag that's failure number two you didn't practice how to clear that failure that caused you a 20 second delay you got frustrated missed a target misideed like there's a bunch of cascades that you'll have to learn to identify really quickly well your ewsp does not
1: have a t on it and i 100% agree with that t is Correct. not the reason you missed. Exactly. Time is not the reason. It's something else. Exactly. It's stability. It's whatever. You weren't watching your shots. It's yep. procedural. It's all these mm-hmm. kinds of things. So it's not even something, to be quite honest, that people should be worrying about at the beginning. And I sell a timer that mounts to your rifle. So yeah. I'll, I'll revisit that later if we want to. But I think people sometimes use it wrong.
0: Yep. <laughs> and that's my main part, point in bringing this up is that timeout is not a cause. Yeah, go ahead and note it. But that's not what caused your timeout. What caused your timeout is the inability to find a target during the stage. What caused your timeout was uh, poor settling of the bag, fighting through stability and wobble, shooting the wrong target, and then trying to search to figure out what sequence you had to be in. Those are all reasons for a timeout, but they're not the. the that's the effect is that you dropped a point. I think one of our buddies,
1: Jason, and uh, I think Chuck does this as well because Chuck times out a lot. No. I'm not calling him out on it. Um, So he recognized that I'd rather get hits and learn something than trying to rush through and timing out. So he tracks himself, and so does Jason. Uh, I don't know if he still does, but he used to. Based on hits versus shots fired, I think it's a way more constructive method of of judging how you're improving. Um, And then you can have a secondary, I guess, metric that doesn't drive you to change but at least is a metric that says shots fired versus shots potential at the very end of it. You can yeah. have a separate metric but I would not let that drive your uh, training plan. I would I would work to shots fired versus impacts. And you'll find that you can influence that number
0: pretty easily with this breaking them down into these silos mm-hmm. and attacking them. So that's so the preparation portion is Four. I'm going to call it planning, but prep, planning and preparation are all the things you can do before. How you're going to get to the match, where are you going to stay, what, how, what kind of ammo, how many rounds do you need, do you have a load developed that works for your rifle, is it consistent, do you know you're zero, like all of those things happen as part of the piece. I wish I could recite them all, but it's literally all the other episodes we've talked about. <laughs> so um, it's all of those. The next silo that you move into is, I'm going to call this the procedural. So this is the next big... Uh, inside the piece, the next big window for opportunity, and that's a procedural error. So when you listen to the RO give a stage brief and you say, yep, I understand it. From that point, what you're acknowledging is that you understand exactly what to do to execute what the MD has written in the matchbook mm-hmm. and get a perfect score as a result of your prep and planning, along with your plan of attack, you will clean this stage as it's currently understood, as long as you pull, do your part and make good shots. Well, if you identify targets one through five as the sequence in which you have to shoot them, you misinterpret that it's actually five through one, far to near, and you shoot them out of sequence. That is a P-based miss. You didn't understand the course of fire. You need to read and come up with a better plan or a process. If you don't understand, you don't find the targets in your scope. Most people go, "Oh, that's a while well, I'm shooting. That's a shooting issue, right?" Um, no, that's a that's a prior to the stage issue. What did you not do to learn where the targets were physically located, reference points for what they look like, but also how to go from target one to target two and understand the landscape between them so that you don't get off in your sequence. You have common reference points that tell you you're on path for a clean run.
1: I just thought of something. So you've chosen the acronym EWSP, but guys and gals, like choose whatever you want. If yep. there's something that's chronically plaguing you, make a letter for it. Who cares? Yeah. Like the whole point is that you're breaking
0: these things down into chunks that will cause action.
1: Yep. And, and yeah, it uh, can be
0: whatever. This is just what I choose. Yeah. Yep. Um. So there's the planning portion. Your prop. Uh, man, there's a lot of peas in this game. Um, Procedure is the one that I
1: think people mess up. You just touched on. There. They mm-hmm. say they understand the course of fire, and they don't. Um, and well, then usually don't execute it. Well, they might have not understood it correctly, but Correct. or they might not have executed it the way it was understood. I've done it both ways; we both have.
0: Which is exactly the point. If you can understand something and not execute it, that's not that's still a planning and procedural, yeah. process no, I type of error where you have to learn how to not how to create a better plan
1: that's infallible. It's usually yeah. the root cause of those, in my opinion, is usually that they're not they're not paying attention when they should, while other shooters yeah. are shooting, or they're the first shooter and they just assume they know it, but they don't. Um, Mm -hmm. You really should be focusing on what other shooters are doing. I want to watch at least two people run through the stage. And I'm not talking on glass. Uh, I'm talking just watching them go through the props or whatever, the course fire, to make sure that I understood it. Because I want to kind of imagine myself in their shoes going through it. And then I want to watch one or two shooters, if I can, through the glass to make sure that I'm engaging the targets in the right order. Um, Yep. You know there's something to be said for watching a bullet hit a target in the order that you need to be shooting it in and you can visualize yourself doing that so this is all time if i haven't watched three to four shooters shoot um and i have the potential to because i that's the my shooting order means that there's a few in front of me then i'm not talking to anyone I, i will not leave my binos until i have done that a couple times Yes. And if you're not treating it with that level of um, discipline and you're mm-hmm. letting yourself be distracted, you're opening the door for those types of mistakes to happen to you on the clock. And then you don't have any excuse.
0: You should have done the work. You didn't do the work. Yep. Your understanding and ability to execute, in my opinion, are directly linked to your rehearsal. Mm-hmm. The number of times and the, ac- the precision and also accuracy of your rehearsals in your mind whether you kind of sidestep and do the whole like hands down range target one target two like fake gun type thing however you want to do it come up with a way that your rehearsal plan is infallible and leads to less mistakes over time rather than more mistakes by just doing a a verbal and just looking at it maybe that doesn't work for you try something new if that's causing issues in your ability to execute a plan it's we're 30-something minutes in, and we're only on the first silo. Well, the That's cool how important is, this is. Yeah, I was going to say the cool thing is that silo is like it's free, yeah. It's free points. <laughs> Hog, yeah. It, this is, to me, the area that people invert. If you think about the match and shooting bullets as being the w- reason for your misses, it's the opposite. It's all the things that you get free points on that cause you not to miss points because you just can't when you have your duck squared away. You can focus your effort now on the three silos that happen during a match. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, the next silo is something you practice out of matches, but is directly related to your match performance.
1: Yeah, and it's something that you can't know for sure until you're on the stage because you don't get to touch the props.
0: Hence, why we're ordering these. You know, you work from the things that are within your control. Lessen your control less in your control, and even less in your control. That's the order of magnitude. And why this also is directly... what's Less in your control means there's more uncertainty, to say it a different way. So we're going in order of least uncertainty to most uncertainty. Well, I wouldn't say E has the most uncertainty. It's uh, just... less. You don't have the ability to control it. If something goes wrong, hmm. it's really hard to identify why.
1: All right, let's finish so S, and here. then we can have... Some. S,
0: stability. Okay. Stability is... Not only your stability, wobble, NPA, rifle position, but also the stability of the prop. The positions you choose on a given prop. Is it the most stable? And if it is or isn't, the gear you take with you, is it lending itself to stability? So if you have a no-wobble zone normally, then you get on this rock and you have a wobble zone. Like, anytime I'm on rocks that are bedded to the ground, big rocks, I don't have a wobble zone. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but... Yeah, my wobble zone is nothing. It's infinitely small to the point where I cannot actually see a wobble zone. So if I'm on a rock and I have a wobble zone, I have red flags that go off in all corners of my brain and body that cause me to stop, go, whoa, something is wrong. Let's figure it out because this does not happen. So then I'll pick up the gun, resettle the gun, create a better linkage between the bag and the rifle and myself and the rifle. Um... And then I should see it go away. If it still hasn't, I, I am going to take the time to figure out what's causing it. Mm-hmm. So, and you've seen me do that on the stage. In fact, you've you had a couple like tires. They're not that stable.
2: Mm-hmm. However,
0: I know that just because the tire is not necessarily stable. Remember a KM, the, the vertical tire? There was one I put my bag on and I took about 20 seconds to get my bag on the tire, flatten it perfectly get it level and even checking to make sure it was good. And then there was a piece of brass somewhere on like a tire near me mm-hmm, that I yeah. stopped and picked up and moved, tossed it away and then came back to the rifle and okay, I'm good. And then I could just pan perfectly back and forth. That's the type of stability check that I was looking for. I, I created the most stable platform I could because of what I knew I had to achieve. I made sure that I wasn't going to shortchange myself in the stability category and well,
1: I think you made a good point. Knowing what your stability potential is is pretty key. So it allows you to, number one, assess your stability when you're looking through your scope. But number two, it allows you to come up with the best plan for stability, knowing yourself, knowing your body, knowing your abilities with uh, with and without a tripod. Like I go into a stage, you can probably give me 20, 30 seconds and looking at the props, and I'll say, okay, this is what I'm going to do here. Having that level of understanding comes with shooting a lot of matches and experiencing wobble zone that's unacceptable and then doing Mm -hmm. something different about it so that's all we're kind of saying here is if you have something that falls into the zone of unacceptable stability and i guess i'm going to call that you know more than plus or minus a tenth like if you have two tenths of total wobble and your target's five tenths that means you're using up you know over a third of the target with your wobble zone and that's approaching unacceptability for me
0: Uh uh-huh i would agree so if you have two tenths that means you're call it point two rifle is now a point four rifle it's weird to say out loud because mm-hmm. i
1: if you said this four or five years ago uh i would say whoa two-tenths wobble like that's freaking amazing that's awesome <laughs> uh yeah and that was my uh that was my gold standard to get to that and now i'm saying that that's my threshold for pain <laughs> yep <laughs> that's Something's my threshold for unacceptable yeah and yeah. if you get to that when you get to that level because you will um then it's very quick for you to create a closed-loop system of analysis, adjustment, and analysis again. Like, you can you can get to a stable position on a lot of props really quickly by understanding what your potential is and what doesn't work, and then shift and settle and change the angle of your bag, change the angle of your shoulder to the rifle, change your foot placement, like you'll start to understand and this comes with a ton of time in my opinion where i learned it was dry fire Mm -hmm. this comes with creating scenarios on the most stable props and the most wobbly props i mean the worst one i can remember from my dry fire training videos was somebody said they had to shoot off a swing so i had this like kids safety swing that used to be on the play set and i hung it from the rafters off of these ratchet straps and uh, I figured out how to shoot off of it. I figured out how to get my wobble zone. In that case, it was probably two tenths. was my target. Five tenths, I was like, okay, now I'm getting somewhere if I'm less than five tenths on on that particular prop, And you can start to see like there's only a couple ways that you can create stability in a scenario like that. Mm-hmm. And when you figure those out on the hardest possible prop that you'll probably never see in a match, you take that to that mindset to the infinitely, um, acute and controllable level on a rock, and you're like, "No, oh, this is simple." It just everything becomes easier. Yeah, when you practice hard, yeah, it makes simple things simple. So if you if you find yourself putting uh, check marks in this category, then try to go home and recreate that prop. Yep, with this, the gear that you used, and then get it as good as you can. And then also, don't be afraid to try a completely different plan. Uh, and come up with a different way to do it like did you choose the right method in the first place and can you get stable
0: on that certain size or shape or height of a prop another way yep and in addition to that like you just said to piggyback on it trying something you haven't tried so if you if you observe something while shooting that you see another another shooter another competitor say using tripod or a bipod and attack table then you see another one using a tripod rear with a front bag support and the other one just using a bag and you're familiar with the bag only and maybe tripod rear to some degree but not a bipod intact table put that on your to-do list to learn that so to see if it is more stable to see if it is a better and what makes it work what makes it not work if you haven't done those things you haven't given yourself every opportunity to eke out the last points when this specific say stage requires the most precision because you can pick up points net to the field by just getting one or two shots more you're averaging more than the rest of the field by that's two points you can't get anywhere else throughout the match so you know if clay or tate or austin or other austin who are used to using say the the bipod and tac table rear are able to deploy it they might have stages where they pick up support, but there also might have stages where using that method costs them points because it's too long, so they have to err in other ways. Uh, I only say that because those guys are the experts in running that method. There are very few shooters I have seen who can deploy that system as quickly and as consistently as most of the Oklahoma shooters. So that's something I've strived to emulate more so I can get better at it and call it a strength of mine as opposed to a weakness of mine. I have to default to a you know, rear bag on just one bag is a sort of a. am not saying it's a crutch but it's my most comfortable method of shooting followed by tripod rear followed by tack table bipod that's a weakness that I recognize so I have it on my action plan for this season I mean you said that like six weeks ago Mm -hmm. have you have you trained it I've trained it twice. Okay. It, still, right. doesn't I was feel, it st- still doesn't feel expert to me, though. Yeah. I mean, I, and this, I think this should be. us some good
1: I was just going to make sure you practice it because yeah. I've heard you say that before.
0: Yeah, but I, I think this is a good point. You know, how long does it take to tra- practice something to become an expert in it? Yeah. For what we do, well, yes, we gain skills quickly because we understand some basic principles. I don't feel comfortable or expert in something for usually months, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, like multiple months. And then I, like it just comes natural the same way a rear bag underneath prone felt natural after a couple of weeks of using it. When I first started shooting, it wasn't natural to start. Now I don't even think about it, but there are times where even a prone shot with a bipod and a rear bag, I have to think like, okay, what I know enough to know that this is not a traditional prone shot. Something is a little different. What's my bag height? What's my bipod height Mm -hmm. and assess all those things. That's the level of detail we're going into when we talk about stability It's all of those components, building your position, having very little to no wobble. Mm -hmm. When you miss, if it's not a timeout, if it's not a gear issue, the next step should be, okay, it's not one of those misses, i.e. I know the rifle went bang, my charge had powder in it. Don't worry about that. It's then, was I as stable as I expected to be? If the answer was no, that's a high likelihood for... The root Part cause. of the cause of yeah. the miss, yeah. It may, it may be at least multi-part, but it's probably the larger component. If you're wobble zone, that's what I'm going to default to. Get more stable on the next shot.
1: Well, because building that skill will help you. launch Well, it'll help you prove that the next thing is not a problem, exactly,
0: or it is the problem. Yep. You know, uh, here's the best example I have of this was a match we shot at K and um, I was hitting shot. I was. I went to a tripod rear sport. I pressed, broke shot. Hit center. Or maybe it wasn't even that one. Was, this has happened multiple times, so this isn't a one-time incident. Preston broke a shot. Everything was good. Next shot misses, and it misses off the right. When you are a right-handed shooter and you load into a bipod or you grab a tripod rear behind the rifle, and you press too hard, the reticle moves kind of left. And when you call it, release it, or you let the recoil happen, the reticle comes back to the right. I.e., the rifle can, during the shot can recoil and move the muzzle to the right of the target I thought because this missed that that's what caused it that was my first assumption like, ah, I, I felt like I was pressing pretty hard I felt like I had to over manipulate the tripod um, so my next change was simply to get back on target without changing my wind call and just use a, call it a more natural NPA tile approach with the tripod so that it was not pushing back on me fired the shot it missed off the right again not as much, but it missed off the right, which meant I fixed part of it, but not all of it, which brings us to the very next category. Mm-hmm. Wind. Mm-hmm. Wind and elevation are arguably the two most difficult. Most shooters, I think... Would you agree that most shooters think wind is the reason for most of their missed points? That they, like, intrinsically, if they walk up to a match, the first thing I think about, you think about, is worrisome, or is a wind call?
1: Yeah, it's... I, I don't know if people... Believe that 100 percent of the time, but that's what they'll say. Yep, that's the best way I've <laughs> and, heard it put. And I'm smarter to I'm smart enough to know that it takes a lot of wind error to miss a six tenth wide target, especially when you go and look at what what at our bullets 600 are. six hundred yards, yeah, what our bullets are capable of doing at six hundred yards and in. Um, so, we've talked for 45 minutes on you know a bunch of things that could be the root cause instead of wind. And those are the things that you need to square away because otherwise you don't know for sure if it's the wind or not. And mm-hmm. yeah, I I think a lot of people say and they worry way too much about wind instead of worry about sending the perfect shot. I mean, we talked about trigger cam with somebody last week and they wanted to see inside of our scope. I'm like, "Man, I'm just not I'm not I'm not ready to share that information just yet." Um, yeah. But I can tell you if you watch me on the clock. Uh, And how long I hold that reticle on the center of the target before the shot goes off, you'd be surprised. Like, I want to make sure that my breathing is perfect, that my trigger press is perfect, and that I follow through. And everything has to be perfect. Otherwise, you won't know if it's wind or something else. And I don't want to make a correction on a shot that I think is wind, but it's really a natural point of aim issue. Now you're going off the other side when you actually do fix it. So I spend a lot of time shooting paper at 100 yards. I spend a lot of time scrutinizing my trigger press so that I can trust it, so that I can make good wind corrections.
0: Yep. Okay. I think this is the the perfect way to get there, is that you're showing that the layering effect, the layer cake style effect, to build more and more stability, more and more procedural, to, to rule out misses there, gets you and affords you the time to spend time on the trigger. Uh, we're waiting to set, actually press the trigger so that you can make the best wind calls, best elevation. And then post, you're watching the result in order to then assess all of them kind of backwards. Start from the base. It wasn't procedural. It wasn't gear. It wasn't stability. Okay, now is it winded or elevation? Okay, let's deal with wind. Mm-hmm. Wind is the hardest thing to not know because it creates, you can't know it, I mean candidly you cannot know the exact wind, it's an indeterminate variable or a non-deterministic variable because you can only measure it at you but you can't know what it is from you all the way to the target with 100% precision you can only get close close is really all we need because once you've sent the round and you have some result and you've done all the other components properly let's assume your elevation is good you now have a real value to take to the bank that under whatever conditions existed just a second ago, you now have a real solution to put you dead center on the next shot. Mm -hmm. So, you go from an unknown variable to a known variable within a, a margin of error that is very small. Usually within a tenth. You're essentially the precision of your rifle.
1: Yeah, and we've heard Morgan describe it like waves in the ocean. People get stressed out about gusts, but most of the time the average doesn't vary too much you know you you'll feel the gust but two to three hundred yards in front of you is the lull and then 200 yards in front of that is the next gust if you take those peaks cut them off and throw them right in the valley of the lull the average Average wind is about the same so i see a lot of shooters uh mid-pack shooters and i've been guilty of this before i yeah i'll admit but they make really good presses they make really good Uh, they make a decent first wind call and then they're really good at seeing their shot and they make corrections. I see a lot of misses happen that way because people are trying to perfectly center up the plate and they correct what they think is a gust and the gust isn't there anymore on their next shot. Mm -hmm. Or it could have been NPA. It could have been a number of things, but they're, they're... I'm not saying they think they're better than they are. They're really good. They're really good for being able to make a good shot. They're really good for being able to see where that that shot was placed on the plate. And then they overestimate their abilities. um, Their precision, generally. their, Their precision or what they think they know. And then they have it sneak off the yep. other side
0: due to the correction. As soon as you make the assumption that I made a perfect, like, and it's, I don't mean you didn't bet it. I mean, literally you make an assumption that it was an MPA was perfect. You make an assumption that your trigger press was perfect. You make an assumption that you were as stable as you've ever been. And the precision of that round is the same as it. last And that the one. precision is a laser beam. All of a sudden that left half impact centered up was actually going to be right half, but the other mistakes that you thought didn't exist Actually happened, and they—that's what pushed your round left. And your actual was your round done perfectly would have ended up more like on the right side. Mm-hmm. You then hold more right, and you end up off the right side because you do stack everything, and it becomes a normal shot. So it's hard to say, and nobody's perfect, and that's no. why I said I've been guilty
1: of it multiple times. But yep. I've just noticed that if I really try to scrutinize and, and perfectly center my group, um, I inevitably get bit one one time out of. 50, we'll mm-hmm. just say. Just a, just a number that is not insignificant when it comes down to winning these matches. So I'm very cautious if I'm hitting the plate to make uh, bold corrections to center. I'll migrate myself towards the center just because I want to prove that my cone of fire and the yep. wind conditions aren't going to take me
0: the other way. Yeah, we've talked about it. Half corrections at small targets are usually what we are. If we hit the plate, we're making a half correction to center. We're maybe slightly over that, but not necessarily a full correction. And that's just because of the, the nature of the targets that we shoot in AG Cup matches are pretty small. So the relationship of precision to, say, wind error or elevation error is a lot more one-to-one. We have a, a higher likelihood of having a precision-based error than we do in our, like, a regular match, where I might have to make five times the error in my precision in order to get to the same amount that would be caused by gusty winds. Whereas in well, an AG Cup match, it could be like half a mile per hour will put you off the plate, but so will, you know, a half a tenth a wobble.
1: Yeah, I'll just say sometimes the my, sometimes the bullet does me a favor by not, and the target does me a favor by not allowing me to see exactly where I hit yeah. on the target. I'm just telling you right now. That's really smart. I, That's my smart. gun has been on, like so on and so centered up, that, um, and my small targets, that if I just hold the center of the plate with my wind call, uh, I hit it and, and I didn't see exactly where I hit it and the f- the plate moves so violently. I better not change, you know, I better not change anything and I'll just keep going and I'll keep going and then I'll just keep hitting. Uh, but there's been other times where I've overestimated my abilities and it's not that the, the golf scenario we were talking about before. It's I know where that bullet hit and I am going to make a half 10th correction to center it up. And then I miss. So I, I don't Those know. both ways. <laughs> Yeah. I'm talking out both sides of my mouth yeah. here. Um, there's not a perfect answer and don't get you know frustrated if you don't perfect this because it's it's impossible to perfect wind calling it just is
0: yep yeah it's the un- the nature of uncertainty is that you can't predict it therefore you can only do your best to use the last closest result or the series of information you have to make the best guess moving forward and if you're not good
1: at seeing where you hit on the plate at least you know the last shot hit
0: somewhere so yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just repeat it. So this brings us to kind of the next point: is the hybridizing wind calls are one thing, but what about misinterpreting wind calls as elevation calls? Because it's to categorize something, you not only need to know what caused it, but you have to be right in assigning that attrib- attributable cause. So, if I break a shot, and I'll use some examples of misses, so we can walk through these. If I break a shot and it misses to nine o'clock or left hand edge of a plate on a let's say a circle. Is that a wind miss? And a berm is right behind the target. It's normal berms within 5 feet, 3 feet. If it misses directly left, is that a wind error or an it's elevation a wind. error? Yep, that's probably a wind error if everything else is perfect. If I miss at 12 o'clock, is that an elevation error or a wind error? If you're right close to the berm, it's elevation. Yep, it's an elevation error. What about 11 o'clock?
1: Um, well, And this it, is where you start a, to depends on the target size and yeah. the distance to the berm. and the, I mean, not target size, the target shape. Uh, but, you know, all things considered, if we're not, if we have a berm behind it, you can assume that,
0: you know, a little bit of elevation, a little bit of wind. Mm-hmm. So, and this is where the, the nuance comes in. Let's say the target is exactly the size of our rifle's precision at that distance because we're honest with ourselves. We have a 1 MOA rifle and it's a 1 MOA target that I missed at 11 o'clock. That means if you were to take your group and superimpose it over that target it's the same size. Missing at 12 o'clock or at 11 o'clock, rather, just a little high left and center, you might go, oh, my wind call is a little off. When, but the, you know, it, it only had to be off. 50% of the bullets in your group would have been in that area if you had centered them up vertically mm-hmm. or more. But in in terms of your elevation, that was the bigger error because you would have had to move all your shots had would have landed lower than that. The bigger miss is the elevation error component. Mm-hmm. Now, if I said the opposite and I'm like 9.30, 10 o'clock, hey, I missed, I would have barely hit the left edge. That's a wind error mostly with a tiny bit of elevation talking error. talking about but, a circular plate here, about, right? Yeah, circular okay. plate. There's less than one-tenth of error there. That's most of the bullets in your group if you were to fire a lot of shots. Yes. This is why understanding probabilities and cones of fire is really important. Just concept to understand because you can start to quickly go, that is more elevation than it is wind that is more wind than it is elevation um how much so the example we've been using is a target the size of our group what if the target is 10 times a target we have a 10 moa plate and you miss off the left you really have to pooch the wind call to miss off nine o'clock on a 10 moa plate mm-hmm. elevation is awesome you would really have to have an elevation error at 12 o'clock for a 10 moa plate missing you know two mils above a target like that's really hard to imagine for most of us but by knowing the difference between those you can be smarter in your approach wind is something that is unfortunately very difficult to practice just pick any day and go to a range and practice it because once you've shot it you know it well that and the fact that most
1: people aren't very good at scrutinizing their elevation so you can't have one without the other um, you can't have good wind training without having perfect elevation. Yep. So, I think you and I figured this out a couple years ago that our first couple stages are the chance for us to make sure our elevation is perfect for yep. for that environment, for that load, for that velocity, for that day, whatever it ends up being. Um, if it's your zero, most of the time we're adjusting the zero because we know our curve is verified in the past, but. Um, if you if you scrutinize your elevation on the first couple stages, then you can get in that zone where you don't have to worry about elevation the rest of the match. And it just comes from a good understanding of your solver uh, and making perfect presses while you still have white paint on the target so that you can see exactly where you hit. But you don't need it. You don't need white paint to see your elevation. No. Uh, depending on how the target's hung, you can see it move. Uh, most of the time... Your, your buddy can watch it hit the plate. But if you're on your own, like at the AG Cup, like there's lots of ways that you can make assumptions whether your elevation is high, a little bit higher, a little bit low, and then I'll just go in there, and whether I intuitively feel it's velocity or zero, I'll just go bump those a little bit until I, like halfway there, until I confirm on the next stage, is it the same result? And if it's the same result, um, I'll go a little bit more. And if it stops making me question, I don't touch it
0: and that's what I'm running for that whole day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Or until you have an indication that you got to go back the other way or Yeah, more. but still, but I still am really very weird.
1: hesitant once two or three stages have passed to change because we've witnessed it before where the prop gives you elevation uh, uncertainty because mm-hmm. of because of either how stable it is or how the recoil rocks the, the prop. Yep. How many times have you gone to a stage and somebody, as you're walking up to it, the last squad's leaving, and they're saying every person
0: was high on that like what do you do with that information i don't listen to that information no i actually i have I don't a very like specific <laughs> one that i i don't care what they say what i do is look at the target yeah if i notice that the upper third is beat up the lower third still has paint on it but the upper half of the target is devoid of paint mm-hmm. i don't the chances that five ten fifteen squads before me went through and all had an average elevation yeah. that's above Good center yep. that like if that happens, I'm going to take a tenth out of my data. because, Or I'm going to... Well, you're going to try gonna, to range it I'm first. I'm going to favor... Well, I'm going to range it mean, Here's my exact process on that. Yeah. So let's say I look at a circular target and I see, for, for to make it look obvious, half the target is black on the top or the bottom. The other half is clean, like mm-hmm. minus a shot or two. Yeah. My first instinct, range the burn. Mm-hmm. Try to range the target try to visually estimate how far I think they are apart and see if I get those two numbers to make sure that what I'm ranging is the berm and make sure what I'm getting on a target is the target. And then try to range the base of the target as well. So I'm using almost, call it three different measurements to verify what I think I see. Berm, target, and base of target. Mm-hmm. I want all those to match up and see which one is closest to the wrote or written range. If I see a discrepancy, I'm then in check. Does it match what I see on target? So if the shark is shorter than what, by 20 yards than what I see in the book, um, and I see that all the plate is beat up on the upper half, I'm going to say, this makes sense. I should favor lower. Let's start with half a tenth to a tenth and see if it keeps me on center. I should, and there's a couple good reasons for this. One, if I favor a tenth lower, I should still see the bottom paint. I actually have a better chance of watching my bullet hit down there. And Mm -hmm. if it does cool. I just go back to normal and keep sending it. Yeah. And if it's not worst case, I miss low. All right, it's back to normal. Send it like, I mean, I get one miss obviously at that stage I would go out and usually wager that there's more misses. If you see that type of condition, there's a lot more misses on that stage than you think. Uh, diamonds are notorious for this um, because people or even triangles. Actually, you'll see people favor to the bottom. That's the one example of an asymmetrical target mm-hmm. that I do not take this approach because You don't know what people are using as a center point. Yeah. And I get really nervous when it comes to those. So I have to take my own hedge and animals. Same thing. Some people aim for the meat. Some people aim for the center. Um, I personally have aimed for whatever half gives me the most clean paint. If I want to get the first wind call out of the way, I go for the cleanest paint I can on the target with the highest chance of possibility for an impact based on my wind uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a big mouthful, but that's a real
1: thing. Yeah. My my gut though, is always to not believe what people tell me.
0: Correct. I ignore everything they say. This is life. Yeah.
1: Like, trust but verify. And I don't want to trust even. I want to let myself come to that conclusion. I don't want to let it jade my opinion. Yep. And a a pretty good example of this was the uh, Vortex Vengeance match that I won last year. Like, I was pretty much in my own world, and people Mm -hmm. were telling me a lot of different things that I just ignored. And I attributed this to I don't know for sure i just know that my rifle was on that day and i was like in the zone but i suspect that people had a lot of problems with mirage and my i'm calling it my zero was a mirage zero (laughs) you know what that is you mean yep okay Mm -hmm. so let me just explain it my zero was created in a very miragey environment we'll just say that so i knew that looking through mirage was the new norm for that day for that weekend for me i mean that mirage was some of the worst mirage it was we shot in yet i was able to hit all the targets almost i think i dropped nine shots all weekend and uh the next closest was 15 or something behind me 15 or 17 and like i said i think i attributed that to me zeroing checking zero both days um in mirage and that way i was able to know what it did now was it up was it down i don't know what it was doing to my point of impact all i know is that I shot in it, and I zeroed in it, and it was the same conditions. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is the this is the main reason why I don't like to listen to people when I walk up to a stage when they tell me they're hitting high or low. Now, we don't shoot a lot of, out west. We don't have a lot of updrafts to deal with uh, ever. I, I don't think I've – maybe the Day match is the only one I've ever made an assumption on in an updraft and then actually did something about it, and it helped me center up. But with that exception, we don't encounter it. And no, so not frequently. Somebody telling me that they have an elevation issue, that's their issue. I'm not going to let their issue become my issue because <laughs> I stress out about elevation enough. And there could be a scenario, whether it's the prop or the target distance or the mirage, that is causing the majority of people to have an issue. But I don't assume I'm going to have an issue without verifying that it's an issue for me first. Yep. The Trust only thing. Well, the only thing I have ever done is if my data says... Uh, one like 3.45 and t- people are telling me I'll hit high, I'll roll down, roll, uh, round down to 3.4. That's the only thing I'll do. A mm-hmm. half a tenth. Um, when normally if it said 3.45 I would round to 3.5. Mean, it's unshootable. It's unshootable
0: other than just knowing that it exists. But you've thrown out the phrase half tenths before. Yeah, I know so. I've <laughs> made corrections that way but I can't predict that the round will hit a half tenth lower. I yeah. will just say I'm hedging my bet that on average I'll be a yeah. half-tenth lower. We do that at AG Cup. Yeah. We, we move half of dots, and like our, the little center dot in our Mark 5s, they move, it's a half roll an edge to an edge, and that half-tenth is exactly what we're using just to, to hedge our bet. It's literally don't know where I'm going to hit around it because it's a cone of fire, but we do use half-tenths. We just don't know, oh, that half-tenth is the reason I hit or miss. It can be, but it's unlikely unless you start watching rounds just grazing edges or hitting, like if I'm hitting an edge, um... Yeah, we have to make half-tense corrections because the target is at our precision. I can't afford to move my group center away from that. So this is just one portion. We're talking wind. Where no, we can we're, we're in elevation now, aren't we? Well, both, yeah. Okay. Wind and elevation. And whereas one scenario that I think is the most common misattribution of wind and elevation is when you have bermless targets or berms that are significantly further away from a target where the round hits the ground in a place that's not adjacent to the target face yeah it hits 50 yards back 100 yards
1: back i was gonna have us throw out a number what's your opinion on you know you can can pretty much yeah well when you can pretty much call it a one-to-one you know you missed it measured it
0: uh how close does the berm have to be five yards minimum wow that would be about my five yards 10 yards yeah 10 yards and you think you start to get Right on that gray zone. Um, 20 yards. It's 25 yards
1: for me just because I know my elevation's good, and I'm looking at wind, and the wind drift in 25 yards isn't.
0: Yeah, elevation specifically is the one I'm looking at for 5 yards because if you take a a 10-yard solution, go 10 yards further, if that changes you a a 10th, that's that's very reasonable at 700, 800, 900 yards. Windage-wise, it's not that sensitive. So for left to right, I would say it's closer to 40 probably 50 to 75 yards approximately 50 yards would be my my minimum if i see a yard like a berm or impact that's going to be more than 50 yards back there i have to start doing some special assessment on wind to know what i saw versus what happened and how to get that back to the center of the plate same thing elevation more than 10 yards i have to do the same thing yep I, i would say it's more critical
1: for elevation than it is for wind the farther you go Yes. If you miss. Yes. Now, once you get past that 50-yard threshold, then you start having your mind (laughs) play tricks on you with whether you missed via elevation or windage. Yep. I think people understand what we're talking about, but we might as well, just for the sake of anybody that hasn't experienced this, um, yeah, for the sake of digging to the bottom of this hole. um, You can put in your solver... A distance. So sometimes, here's a good exercise: um, go and measure the height of your target, and then dial your elevation taller than the target. And then, first of all, hit the target on center with your perfect elevation and a good wind call. Now, dial up so that you you know that you're going to overshoot the target, but hold the same wind call and see where your bullet lands. Like, see where it looks like where it lands with a target that has no backdrop. No yep. no berm. It's just a flat open field. And then you can see what, a, what an elevation, three-tenths elevation miss looks like. And then you can do the same thing. You can get a perfect wind call, perfect elevation, and dial your windage off three-tenths right or three-tenths left. Whatever will cause you to miss the target and see what that looks like. Um, and then you can go through the exercise of measuring that and putting that into your kestrel um, and see what what type of elevation error you should be seeing, and then what kind of elevation error error your Kestrel tells you to do. And you can kind of poke around this. Like It doesn't take you long. Ten shots, you'll get a lot of information. If you have your notebook open and you make a quick, perfect center shot and then adjust your elevation and shoot again and then draw a data point, and then you can start to get a good feeling of how your bullets look like they're landing, where they're landing, Mm -hmm. and then what they're actually doing and what they visually look like. And you need to start to create this like visual uh, mind space of around the target in those scenarios what what you should expect to see if you miss. And it can become very intuitive. Like yep. you should be able to see where this bullet splashes and say, Okay, that was pretty good elevation, terrible windage. And honestly, if you're tracking your elevation throughout the day, you should know you should always assume that it's windage, not elevation anyway. Yep. But you know, if you miss windage you probably have a little bit of error in your elevation due to aerodynamic jump as well. So it could be a little bit of both. Like if your wind call is off enough to where you got five tenths windage error, you might have a tenth of elevation as well.
0: Yeah. I would agree with that. The um, The quick experiment on this one, or the most common scenario, is you have a target that's just on a standard T-post, four, I don't know, what are they, four or five feet tall generally? three sure. to, Three yeah. to five feet. Um, when you, and you have a flat ground, the bullet might hit 100 to 150 yards downrange. So the drill, or I should say the check in a match, is if you're not sure, you can actually prep this out to know the response and what to look for, ping the target, pan left or right, ping the ground left and right of the target to say, oh, it's 100 yards. And then look at your Kestrel. kestrel, take the difference between the target solution and the solution to the ground, you should see your rounds hitting that amount low Reference to the target. In reference to the target. That's the correct distance approximation for elevation. Windage-wise, you then have to take the same thing. You take the solution for wind at your target. It's, say, half a mil. But the solution at 600 is, say, one, I'm using big numbers, one mil. Mm -hmm. uh, 100 yards later, that's way too much. But one mil. So you should see your half mil differential, half mil low, for instance. And if you look to the center of the target, you fire and it misses, and it hits a half mil left and a half mil low then you know that he had to have missed very close to the center of the target or whatever the half mil low would mean your elevation was just off or pretty good but the wind is off and vice versa the hard one is when you see a bullet drop directly below a target you know here's a scenario: bullet drops directly below a target and you think it's very low but it's a hundred yards back where did you miss on the pro side yep you missed upwind Mm -hmm. yep um because you were holding some amount of wind and it didn't blow, you know, it had to go downwind, but that means you held enough. It just ended up center, but it's ended up center a hundred yards back of the target, which means you held too much. Mm-hmm. So the next step would be just back off wind. And as long as you measure the amount that it was low and you go, yeah, it was the half mil I expected because of the distance differential, you should put the next round dead nut center. Yeah. Full target width or whatever yep. and get back on the plate. So uh, next one, you send around and it ends up waterline hundred yards back, way left, like left of the target, some amount. Way high, just high. Yep. Nope. Again, we don't know that it's just high, but if you again, if you check your wind call and you say yeah, it needed this much, and from your reticle it's three tenths left of center, and that's the difference between the two plate points of impact. It went just over the target with the correct wind call. That's why it appeared to be windage only. Mm-hmm. Um, next one, you fire and you see. Nothing. Yeah. On the same like long berm, there's nothing behind it. You hit in the ground. You don't see anything. Uh, you might see it what you think is a tiny bit of dust, but it appears hidden by the target. Hmm. High and right. Hi, high high and upwind. And upwind. Yeah. High and upwind. Yep. Yeah. Those are the ones that people get confused. It's like the most confusing to your brain. I hit directly behind the target instantly. And for mm-hmm. a newer shooter, that's the one that's the most confusing at least it was for me and that high and up wind, you missed at the 130 position and probably just barely Mm -hmm. to be honest uh so bring it aim low left corner yeah
1: and you should hit it in these scenarios it helps to think them through like we are it helps number one help think them through number two do a training day and test this like i was saying Mm -hmm. um and you're saying the same thing i am i was i was you're probably doing a better way of articulating it um and then number three before you start a stage that has one or two targets like this do that measurement with your uh, rangefinder, and then see how far the backdrop is, and know what that differential is um, back there. And then you can make a direct correlation. I'm a half mil; it looks half a mil low, right below the target. I know that's an upwind miss. If it looks, you know, two targets downwind, but half a mil low, you were downwind of that target. Yeah, and the elevation's good, and. Like That's why I stress about elevation at the beginning of the match, so that I don't have to think about it on the clock. All else fails, move a full target width one way or the other, <laughs> and then if that doesn't hit, move a full target width the other way. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. And to be, one thing to kind of clarify on this is we talked about how these are, again, order of control. You have yep. the most control in the P's, then stability, then wind, and then elevation why are we saying that we have the least control over our elevation we have control over it yeah i don't necessarily agree with that i want to hear your explanation i can't control the root cause of changing elevation easily yeah and you don't know when it's going to happen i can't i can't know when my barrel's going to speed up there's there's no way for me to know that whatsoever it just will happen it happens consistently generally but if it happens it's going to happen quickly um, windage wise, that's changing all the time, but I, I have a way of measuring it with a Kestrel. I have a way of watching it on every single shot left and right. That's very easy to resolve for the most part. Mm-hmm. So for me, a change in I I can't grab a chronograph between every stage or on the stage and know what my actual muzzle velocity is at that moment. But I always get to see how well, much wind and measure it on every single shot if I really wanted I, to.
1: I can tell you that so. the hierarchy that you've laid forth here, with the E being the hardest one, is definitely the way I feel about elevation, because I want to be able to trust it. Yeah. But then I have to we constantly have to assume keep tabs. it's wrong. Yeah. Yep. I have to honestly, if it's not right, that is a stressful match. Like if I never get a good feel. Mm-hmm. For whether or not my elevation is on, that's very stressful because then I got to worry about elevation and wind, and yep. wind is wind is uh, out of control. Like it's it's a it's a best guess. So you need to have tabs on your elevation, uh, and you need to be, have confidence in it, so so that um, you can make you can know for sure what the wind is. And yep. people want to know how to get better at wind callers, wind calling. And I'm just going to say. You got to shoot more. You just got to make the best educated guess. You got to make perfect trigger presses. You got to know that your elevation is perfect. And then you just got to go out there and gather d- data points for yourself. Like, you need yep. to know when it feels like this this is what my bullet does. And by the way, don't change up your bullet all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can avoid it. I know there's, you know, times when you can't. But um, this is the main reason why I train with my comp rifle these days. I have all rifles, I have all the rifles. I just choose to train with my match rifle because I want it to be second nature. So I think you've laid out a pretty awesome um, silo-type system. We're talking about creating a histogram and bringing it all back to things that you can train with. And I think we've said in a previous episode, like, pick one thing. Like, pick one thing until you can train it to death and and get rid of it as a
0: problem. Um, And then use that to go to the next thing yeah you should see when using this method over time that the number of errors you get in p is constantly near zero or zero the number you get to s is approaching zero the number you get to wind is probably you know several um, or a couple and then the number of elevation should be few but again it's being aware of it because if you don't add that component you could be chasing your tail so and it's something that we have the hardest time kind of reconciling. And once you fix it, it should be fixed. But the best way to think of it is if your windage is correct the whole time and your elevation's off, your targets are a third to two thirds smaller. If they're circles. If they're circles, yep. yep. If they're diamonds, it's worse. It's worse. <laughs> <laughs> if, they're, if they're squares, elevation doesn't matter as much, but your wind calls will. So um, I don't see a that, lot of squares. I mean, I don't, I don't you get upsets, we don't. You, know. get, yep. you get
1: diamonds. You get circles. Circles are pretty common. Yep. I like circles because it. it it's
0: just enough to force you to focus on it, you know? Yeah. So, man, this was a really good episode, but I almost wonder if we shouldn't break it into two parts. It's probably our longest episode at this point. No, I don't know. One hour and 22, hour and 23. No, it's
1: good. I think okay. it's good as a concept, and then I bet you people will have some questions and yeah. concerns and want to add, and then we can revisit this. Because I think that after action report, I don't know how many people do it, but I've always done it from, from day one. Yep. Whether it was formally like a, an actual after action report um, or whether it was just notes, bringing back, I would put them in a, a Excel spreadsheet. And mm-hmm. before you heard... I did. Before you told me these categories, I had 10 categories, whatever. If you want to have 10 categories, we're going to say that a few of those categories probably fall into one of these buckets, but it doesn't really matter if you want 10 categories because you're always forgetting to reload your
0: magazine. Like, put it on there until you don't do that anymore, whatever it is. Yeah, for sure. I think there's, a, you know, the big point of this is, like you said, this is categories the reason they're so big and broad is because we know that there are things you have to practice within them but you need a way to give you the major root cause and then from that practice to get that root cause uh non-existent from that point forward Mm -hmm. well there's a pass pro oh we missed it dang it oh it's still there oh it's closed we're past it
1: Uh, i mean Um, like to to your point there um i think or to my point to breaking down stuff I mean, I write down my wind in, in two different categories, pro yeah. and am. So, you know, however you guys want to break this thing down, I just, I noticed that I I miss on the pro side much more than I miss on the am side. And that's just a tendency to, for me to buffer the, the wind gusts. So then, since I started doing that this year, um, I've been practicing and stuff, and I'm probably 50 50 now, which in me, that's good. In my opinion, is the best case scenario, right? Um, I theoretically should get maybe one or two. More impacts in a match that's windy versus always missing upwind. So I'm excited to test that out and uh, see how that works. And, and you know what? I'll probably fail and then I'll take that home and I'll come up with some other hypothesis because the cool thing is um, this is a lifelong learning this yep. process. And
0: the more you shoot, the more you learn, the more you know. The more you know. Yeah, linking this back to the one we talked about expectations, not throwing your putter. Yeah. <laughs> this is a way for you to not throw your putter. You just Did go you back and throw your pen on your matchbook and with the pointy righty part down. And says, and, and don't give up too soon. Yeah. So you remember that? Uh, I know you've seen this video because I've asked you
1: that video where the guy takes the putt and it looks like it goes just past the cup, and <laughs> so he's so pissed, and he stomps <laughs> yeah. his putter in half, and then the ball then falls, falls on the side. So, so the lesson there is, like, you know, don't give up too soon. You might be winning, and you don't even know it.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah you not can't be can't 17 points ahead making all the people in your squad feel really bad they yep. don't know it you can't avoid winning you can't avoid winning <laughs>
1: nope. all right man let's cut this one off good idea all right the match has already started yep on it every day see you